You've always had what it takes to make it happen. And we know the right tools can make it easier. At Strayer University, we're always thinking about new ways to set you up for success. That's why we give you a brand new laptop when you enroll in a bachelor's program. So you can start off on the right foot and keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Eligibility rules, restrictions, and exclusions apply. Connect with us for details. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by Chef. Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 158. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. Audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them, but I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to and get caught up on the book as I'm driving to work, if I'm exercising, any free time, working out in the yard, I can get caught up in all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible, and you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from, you can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible and make your smartphone smarter. Well, I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time. I got Terry Starbarker St. Marie on the phone. He's a native Midwesterner, now lives in Portland, Oregon. He's been in the business world for over 32 years in various leadership positions, most recently as a senior vice president of operation for Bresden Communications, a cable TV operator in the Rocky Mountain West. In 2010, he went out on his own as a business consultant, strategist, coach, and angel investor. And he was recently named one of the top 100 leadership and management experts by Inc. Magazine. What an honor. His career's biggest passion has been to practice what he calls more human leadership, a philosophy that is unabashedly personal, all about positivity, purpose, empathy, compassion, humility, and love. Man, you fit right in to the dose of leadership, Terry. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Richard. It's a pleasure True pleasure to be here today. Well, fellow Midwesterner, where 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 are you from? I didn't I didn't I don't realize where you're from. Well, I'm originally from uh, a little town called Cudahy, Wisconsin, okay, which is yeah. a, which is a suburb of Milwaukee, actually. Well, it's good to have another Midwesterner. I guess I don't know is Kansas Midwestern or is that kind of Central Plains? I never know. I'm I'm always kind of like in the <laughs> middle of the country, and sometimes people call us Midwesterners, and sometimes people call us Central Plains. I don't know. What's your you take? You know, I think that falls into the Midwest category, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think, I think so. we're all the same kind of tribe. I think uh, we're, um, you know, we're very, um, I, I, you know, this 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 Midwest friendliness yeah. and a sense of values, and I think that's probably why, since we're not that geographically separated in, in a sense of where we came from. I would sense that uh, there's probably that's where a lot of our similarities actually come from. I think you're right. What, if you're sitting at a restaurant, you're ordering a Coke. How do you order it? Uh, I just have a soda. Yeah, yeah. We're definitely the same <laughs> tribe. That's right. Sodas. We're the soda tribe. <laughs> that's right. I always want a soda. Well, welcome to the show, my friend. You know, and I and I love your philosophy, as you said there, 
about positivity, purpose, empathy, compassion, humility, and love. You know, one thing I always talk about in leadership it is an ultimate act of love. You know, and coming from the Marine Corps, and I could tell you that was the place that had the biggest heart and the biggest compassion, and people wouldn't think that. But but some a culture that's so steeped in leadership, it is all about love, isn't it? Well, it certainly is, Richard. And I think that's I think your example is probably. Um, you know, who would think in the Marine Corps they'd be talking about love or thinking about right. love, right, at first glance? And, and same thing in the business world. You know, where, where does that come in? Where does that really come into play? Well, I think it comes completely into play because um, I, what I came to realize, Richard, in my business career, and I think this is really where more human really came from for me, is that I, you know, I started out my career um, as an accountant, and I was sort of trained that way, very dollars and cents, and the term that um, I referred to myself early in my career as uh, spreadsheet assassin, <laughs> which is kind of like, like I was trained to go in there and, and hit the numbers and cut the numbers and be a budget person. But then I realized that, that you know, because I came to the Midwest, and I, it's not like I didn't have this in me to begin with, but I, I would go out and go, oh, you know, I, I can be myself. I can apply some of my 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 natural bent to communicate and to connect and to make friends and to and to um put put things into more practical terms and and motivate in a different way and build build a team around different principles other than just profit um because what i realized especially when i got out in in later in my career and i got a chance to spend a lot of time with field employees in the cable tv business where i really cut my teeth and and learned a lot uh, was that these people wanted a good reason to get out of bed in the morning. Right. That's what they wanted. And so I, and then so it didn't take me long to figure out if I could do that for them, then the company was just going to be successful. Exactly. Well, it seems so common sense, but I think so often, at least I know early, in, it seems like in most leaders' career in their early phases, you, you kind of instantaneous or um, you naturally gravitate to thinking it's all about the leader. I think that's maybe what's ingrained in us. Did you experience mm-hmm. the same thing, and, and how and when did you transition to understand that it isn't about you? Um, that's a great question, and I think it was around the same time, Richard, where I started having these more in-depth conversations with the line employees, you know, the people that were actually out doing the work in the field, interacting with the customers. I had, in my first incarnation, as an executive, quote unquote, when I got out of the accounting business, I didn't spend a lot of time in the field. I was sort of ensconced in the ivory tower, as it were. Right. And I never, you know, I never uh, got a chance to have those conversations. And having those conversations, then I realized it it wasn't about the leader per se. You know, because that that role is more of a servant. You serve, you're serving the needs of those people that are actually getting the work done and making sure they have everything they need to succeed. So when you start putting it in that, in that perspective, then the I, quote, quote unquote, I, uh, beca- morphs into, I think, the much better we. Well, and you even say that that's probably one of the most important words, right? I mean, knowing the difference between we and they. Oh, exactly. And I, that was one of the words I used to hate. Yeah, Richard. I, I mean, I'm sure you hated it too when somebody started talking to you about those people, or they did this, or yeah. they did that. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, wait a second. 
who's they? You know, and I, I, I would sit in a meeting with <laughs> right. employees, and they're like, oh, they, they put this rule into play. I'm like, you're, who's they? <laughs> they, the corporate people, or, or, or they are corporate, corporate. Corporate did this, or corporate did that. And, and, and I just became obsessed, Richard, with this breaking down that wall to where I was going to be really successful if I could get into a meeting, and I did. You know, a couple of years later, a few years later, when I sort of chipped away and chipped away. And finally, when something happened or a rule got changed or a process got changed, it just became, hey, we changed this and, and we did it for a reason. And here's the reason why. And, and it's all part of the greater purpose. And it's, it's under our value set. And it makes sense under that value set. And then, and then the, the they just disappeared. I think there was a famous... Um far side cartoon about they if i remember correctly i just was thinking about that where they always were referencing they i can't remember what it was i'm gonna have to look that up and maybe i'll put it on the post as a well, yeah please do like, yeah because there, there's a i'm drawing a blank now sorry i brought that up but i just was thinking about that because you're right <laughs> always referencing they and it kind of ties back to when you when you um it's kind of an escape really when you start using that word because it kind of I don't know, in one of my pet peeves, it takes us away from the accountability piece. No one ever wants to be accountable for anything. And my gosh, it seems like we're just everywhere you look these days, there's no accountability for anything. Right. But when you introduce the, the word we, um, by kind of default, you're starting to make things accountable or people accountable or ourselves accountable for the outcomes. Exactly, Richard. And then I found the, the one distinction that I found that was really critical for me was that um, was was building this culture of accountability, and what I found was is that when when you when you come to respect every job that's part of a company, right? Whether it's a cleaning the floors, or in my in my business, it was preparing the boxes or the cable boxes before they went out, or or just anything, and, and I would spend a lot of time respecting that work and building trust with these people that, yeah, I understand you, and I understand the importance of what you do, and, and, then, they, and then they start to trust you, and then you trust them back, and when that circle of trust um, is closed, and then the we gets really locked into place, really asking for a culture of accountability at that point and asking for accountability is, is actually is actually so easy right. for me because it's like sure i want to do this because i've 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 created this this concept this this mission that we're on this cause and they all want to be a part of it and yes i have to i have to hold up my end of the bargain in other words they become self accountable right. and they they become self aware and self regulating to where it gets to a point richard where and I'm, i don't know if you've seen this where I got to the point where I didn't even have to tell people they were doing something yeah. that they weren't doing. They they would they just come to me and say, you know, I messed up and I need to do better. It's a critical point, and I think we should focus. On, you're absolutely right, and I love that you said that because I think that I think that if people, you know, you'd ask a lot, especially people new to leadership and they want to become better leaders, if they focus on this one aspect that you just talked about, and because you see organizations, especially the large ones, and they start talking about one of the biggest problems is the difference between strategic planning and strategic execution. And it always drives me crazy because to, to me, they're one and the same. And, and, mm. and bear with me on this, because I think that when you do what you just said, when you introduce um, ownership to whatever you're trying to do in support of your intent, is basically what you're talking about. Automatically, you're inducing accountability. And what you just said is 
it becomes self-regulating because people actually, they may not even know it or even admit it, but when you give it to them, they actually like that kind of additional delegated responsibility or delegated authority. And when you set those expectations and that accountability automatically, then the strategic planning, the strategic execution kind of happens at the same time. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I don't, and exactly. So, and when that happens, like you said to your point, it becomes self-regulating, and that's when organizations really start to, I know, kind of their pulse starts to increase and the creativity and everything starts to happen. So I don't know that I'm glad that you said that. Did that make sense? What I said? Absolutely. And, and I think the, the, the clincher of that Richard is, is set putting the right set of metrics and measurements against that account culture of accountability. Mm-hmm. I think that's just as critical because I think the other human um, instinct is, and I think Patrick Lencioni um, I don't know if you've ever read his book, The Three Signs of a Miserable Job. I haven't read that one. I've read these others, obviously, The Five Dysfunctions. Um, and, yeah, uh, that's good, too. But I haven't um, read that one, no. So enlighten but, me. But, but this, the key, one of the key elements of, of obviously, job satisfaction for, for anybody is having personally accountable and measurable metrics. In other words, it's like to tell, um, in my case, let's say it was a call center agent, taking calls uh, for customer care and and we tell them you know you're accountable to the company's profit and you're like what right I, I can't relate to that it doesn't it's not immediately measurable to me right okay so now you turn that around and say um, you know first call resolution which of course in our vernacular is you know solving the customer's problem right then and there on the on the, on the phone or or relatively soon thereafter, where the customer doesn't have to call you back. That plays into profit in this way because it saves money. So for you, call center agent, your measurable metric, the most important metric is first call resolution, and here's your measurement, and here's how we're going to measure it. And in fact, we're even going to let you track it every day, and um, let's talk about that. And once they have that, and then they can put it in the context, that, you know, that's what they're being held accountable to. Right. And, and they understand the context of it, which is even just even more important, the why, the, the, the context of it. Then, then, that, then that really kicks in, this accountability thing, because then they know. It's like, I, my, my, my ratio is 90% this month. Our target's 95. I know where I stand. Yeah. But you know, I found the biggest challenge is, I agree with you on the metrics. That has been the hardest nut for me to crack in any organization that I've been. And I've seen it go... Um, I'd say more often than not that we tend to fall into metrics that don't mean anything. And I was notorious for always saying, okay, yeah, so what? So what? what why is that important? Because I mm-hmm. find a lot of people just chasing metrics for the – and then what, what I find what happens is a churn starts to happen and we create this bureaucratic, bureaucratic kind of um, monster that is just all about – you know, feeding the beast of the metrics. So how do you find the right ones? And are, are you, are you big on real granular metrics or, I mean, what I heard you say, and I agree with you is it's gotta be at the level to where someone feels ownership of it and, and proud of it. Yeah. I, I think it's a cascading to me. It's, it's all cascading because I think you have to have uh, three or four and I had three metrics that, that, that casket that, that everybody's accountable to in a sense. And, and I'm, in fact, I combine them with some values in, 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 in my company. I call them the five things you need to know. In fact, I needed, I, I required every single of the 1,100 employees at, at one point I oversaw to know these numbers. 
and then I always explain why they were. In, in my case, there were, and I always, I always put them into to certain categories. It was, I wanted to know how many customers were happy because it was a service business. Right. So we came up with a measurement for that, which was net promoter score. I wanted to know how many customers were not happy. And, and we came up with a measurement for that, which we called the customer fault rate. And then, then I wanted to just know how many customers we had, period. Right. And we had that. So those are the three measurements that I, that I figured that if every employee was, was focused and we knew about that and we could move the dial and we had targets, that that, that, that would be a good place to start. And then as you cascade down to different departments, then we identified in a very similar manner. It's like, well, for a cable installer, what would be, say, what would be the simple three or four metrics that this, this cable installer could ultimately be measured by? And we took a lot of time and effort to try to sit down and say, well, really, really what are the things that move the dial uh, associated with that, that person and what that person's job is? And, 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 and that's what I end up meaning by cascading because if, then if you start looking at those metrics from the bottom up and they start building on because – um, uh, for example, just to go back to the first call resolution point, you know, we knew that first call resolution was going to factor in the customer satisfaction, right? Right. So, so we knew that if that agent was focused on that and also knew what the higher number was, uh, one of the five things they needed to know, there was this circle that was closed and, and they had, a, they, they knew how they, again, they knew how they fit in, they knew how they were being measured personally and they knew how it fed into the grander goal and it, and it's just it just when that happens richard and it's all going on all cylinders that way and you've picked the right numbers and you're measuring the right things it's like music it's right. like it's like the symphony that's playing and there's no wasted parts and there's no wasted effort because my biggest pet peeves in my in my career was when someone would slap down that two inch thick binder book of all those reports and <laughs> nobody would ever look at right, them exactly well, what I love about what you said and, and what really struck me to, um, on your answer was the three that you picked were so basic and common sense. And I don't mean basic in it. I mean, it's this simplicity. And sometimes getting that simplicity is a lot of hard work. But you're absolutely right. In a customer service business, in, in your case, you know, are my customers happy? Which How many customers aren't happy? And how many customers do I have? Wow, that's pretty basic. And you're right. And if you can kind of cascade those that all feed those, yeah, I can see that. My problem is I seem in and I've worked in highly technical organizations, like at a flight test organization. God, we seem to make it so difficult. And there's just so many of them. And for me, when I was in certain areas, I just boiled it down to what did we say we were going to do today? Mm-hmm. And then hold the, and, and I want to count, I want one name next to it for the accountability piece. And then at the end of the week, what did we accomplish today? And what didn't, did we say what we were going to do? Here's what we said we're going to do for the week. This is what we did for the week. Why didn't we get things accomplished? Because it to me it didn't get any more simple than that. What do you think about that? I I mean we used to do the same thing, Richard. I, I it, it doesn't it just sounds too easy, right? It sounds it's so uncomplicated, and and I don't know why I don't know why people try to complicate things so much when it comes to that. I don't know, I don't um, know. especially from the accountability framework, um, because mixed messages and confusion and not understanding. What do you want me to do anyway? Do I even understand what you want me to do? I, <laughs> right. I mean, uh, I don't even know what you want to do, so go make it up. And you're like, no, that's not the way it's supposed to work. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, one thing I love about one of your eight principles of more human leadership is we talk about um, 
fighting complacency. And one of the things I talk about a lot of here, and one of my biggest pet peeves is mediocrity. I mean, my God, we're bathing in it everywhere that we mm-hmm. see. And and I love what you said early on. You you said something about you know how you looked at your accounting job. What was it said again? The you um what was the phrase you how, how did you what was your job description when the accounting spreadsheet Spread- spreadsheet assassin? Yeah, I love it, right? And so there's one way to kind of put something um, which can seem on the surface like a you know crunching numbers and being the bean counter and all that. But I love that, and that kind of ties in with how do you create this culture where people are excited about what they're wanting to do? Because what my biggest challenge. Coming from the Marine Corps, and I talked to, I had a guy on my podcast who was a former Marine too yesterday, and we were talking about how difficult it was for all of us who transitioned away because it's easy when you're in the military and you're part of this grand scheme. And even he he was like a um, uh, logistics or motor transport guy who got, part, who got parts, but he could see the bigger picture, how he fit into that cog and that piece of that puzzle, and it was supporting this grand cause, right? Mm-hmm. When you get in the civilian sector sometimes, though, and, I, and I've, this has been a struggle for me, it's like, how do I get people and I get myself excited about accounting or shipping and receiving or call centers for that matter? I mean, how do you get people excited about the bigger purpose and not be complacent in what they're doing? Um, you know what it was for me, Richard? I, I got fixated. Really, truly. It was fixated. Yeah. On being great. Yeah. I said, you know what, folks? I don't want to be just a good call center. I don't want to be um, even a better than good call center or, or a better than good company. I want to be a great company. I want to turn around when this is all over and say, you know, this is one of the greatest cable operations I've ever seen. Um, wouldn't, you know, don't you want to be a part of that? Yeah. Wouldn't you want to be a part of that? This Absolutely. is what we do. This is because I was, I was, you know, we had a lot of people that worked for us that had been in the business for 10, 15 years. They had been mismanaged and underappreciated. And now finally someone was coming and says, you know what? I'm tired of this. We, I, I want this to be a great place to work. I want this to be a great organization. I want this to be... Um, a place where you, you you jump out of bed in the morning and you can't wait to serve customers and you can't wait to be the greatest cable company. Yeah. And is right? it, exactly. And isn't that what, what you just, I was thinking kind of hit me there. Isn't that what most of our energy as leaders should, we should be doing is on a day to day maniacal basis, doing what you just said, spreading that message and that enthusiasm. I mean, if, if anything, if we don't, if we're not doing that, what's our purpose of being a leader, right? I mean, because we can all crunch the numbers and meet the the customer requirements without well, putting, yeah. putting any enthusiasm in it. But I don't know. It just seems like as leaders that sometimes we miss that that really should be our primary job is selling that vision. Exactly. Well, what I learned early on is that people look to you for guidance. And I say that very, very gently, but that guidance you know, most people would look at that from, a, let's call it, quote, unquote, a management or boss perspective. And when you think about that, on the one hand, it's, you're saying you, guidance means, okay, so-and-so, your job is to do this, so I want you to do X, Y, and Z. That's what's considered to be guidance. But truly, guidance, to, what I've realized that guidance is when you walk into a room, how do you carry yourself? How do you, what's your, what's your, um, um, you know, your view of the company and your attitude and, and what you project and what you talk about 
And people are going to take your lead. And because if you're, if you're bummed out, they're going to be bummed out. Right. If you're sort of pessimistic, they're going to get pessimistic. Right. If you're not, if you're not into it, they won't. Well, that's what makes that simple. Yeah, it is that simple, but I think that's what makes leadership so hard, at least for me, because it's almost like I equate it almost like it always amazes me when you watch, say, the local news or any newscast or whatever or a radio personality. Mm -hmm. What if life gets in the way? They still have to go to work and still be that radio personality, that TV personality. And to me, that's almost kind of like the job of a leader. Um, you still have to be, no matter what's going on around you, you have to dig deep and find the positivity even when things look pretty bleak. Yeah, it's the positive, you know, it's the Winston Churchill who's, you know, I, I just love his example of, you know, we shall never surrender and right. we shall defend our isles, whatever the cost may be. And and um, this beacon of light in, in sometimes, you know, businesses can be like really bleak places because by by whether you can are in control of it or not, you know, circumstances can make things bad. I mean, we went through, um, a, you know, in my lifetimes, several recessions and things that were totally out of our control. And as best as we could do, the, the you know, people still disconnected because they couldn't afford our service anymore. We were going through a great recession. So all that beautiful, positive uptalk that I have, <laughs> right, about how <laughs> right. great we want to be, well, they're going, but Terry, people are still they're still leaving us. We're, we're giving you this, we're giving you everything we've got in customer care and they're still leaving. What now? <laughs> how do you answer that? Yeah. That's the ultimate right? challenge, right? I mean, it's like, how, I mean, that is why it's so hard. It's, yeah, so, it's I, so easy to understand, but I mean, that's why it's so difficult. I mean, I don't right. know. And you got to stand up there then at that question. I mean, that's, that's a true test, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Why, Terry? Why? I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> uh, and they're looking to you for that answer. Yeah. Well, that's where the gut checks come in. I mean, I think a lot of times we think leadership is about the uh, the perks of the corner office and the title and the position, but it is none of that. That is not what leadership is about. It's uh, it's about those moments that you just described. And that's where yeah. you've got to and, – you know, and, and I think, too, the challenge, too, talking about the positivity piece – in those kind of um, moments when you don't feel like it, it has to be authentic too. And I think it's okay to maybe even share because nothing drives me crazy than kind of that false motivation. uh, If that makes sense. I mean, I guess for example, um, I remember one time in the, uh, I had to go to six month infantry school in the Marine Corps first starting out. And it was four o'clock in the morning. You had to walk to the rifle range for two weeks. So it's four o'clock, it's cold, it's raining. And I wasn't in, you know, you get rotated through various leadership billets. And I remember sitting there and I was just like, I wouldn't say anything. I wasn't complaining, but I wasn't happy. Obviously, this was kind of miserable. And there was one guy kind of walking up and down the line, another lieutenant. He was acting in a leadership role. And he was like, oh, this is motivating. This is what it's all about. And I'm just like, that is just false motivation. And it drives me crazy. It's like, that's not going to, you know, to me, I think it would be more inspiring if you kind of, you know, be, not complaining, but just looked over and said, "Yeah, this this kind of sucks, but uh, we'll get through it." You know, in this kind of funny. I don't know. Just like with the, even like a look that you don't need to be a cheerleader all the time. I guess I don't know. No, no, you don't. And I think that's that's a. I think you've highlighted an important distinction, Richard, about being human. Yeah. And that's when I say about being more human. It's not. 
it's not over cheerleading. It's not being a Pollyanna, right? right? Where right. everything's going to turn out okay. It's not going to turn out okay. <laughs> right. Things are going to happen. Uh, people are going to make mistakes. Life, life is going to happen. People's parents are going to, you know, they're going to have accidents or things that haven't happened. And we had our, we had, we had our owner and CEO pass away while we were in the middle of our business. And I, I mean, I couldn't go. Um, and I'm, uh, ended up writing about this scene in my book that's almost out, but it's, it's, I'm working on it, but it's like where I, I went to one of our locations and he had just, it wasn't long after he passed and I wasn't going to sugarcoat this, yeah, you know, right. I, 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 so I talked about him in very emotional terms, but, but by then I think I, I was being a human and so I could literally talk about this differently and because of, uh, of the situation that I was in, and they took it that way, sincere and. Um, but yeah, you you just never you have to you have to put it in context. And if people, if you make mistakes, even as a leader, you can stand up and go, you know, I messed up. Right. It's kind of like being in the crisis. Wouldn't it be so much better? To to your point about being more human, it's like, man, I don't know how we're going to get through this, guys. But then, then follow it up with, but I just know we're going to get through it somehow. I have no doubt right. we're going to get through it. That's the confidence piece that you need. You suspend the belief on how you're going to get through it. You just know you're going to get through it, if that makes sense. Right. Well, if you, if you, read, um, if you read Jim, you must have read Jim Collins' Good to Great. Oh, absolutely. Right? That's that chapter, Level 5 Leadership, is I think should be a primer for anybody who's interested in becoming a leader, for sure. Yep. Amen to that. I would second that motion. So, so what are the two qualities of the uh, Level 5 Leader? Well, they're, they're, um, it's kind of like the window theory where if, if they're successful, you know, they look out to them. If, if they, they fail, they look to themselves. They look in the right. mirror. And, you know, they have this undenying, just man, kind of maniacal passion for getting things done in, in the, for the sake of the, the company and the mission, you know, coupled with humility. Right. The humility and will. Yep. Right. Right. And you've described them well. Um, uh, particularly the will. I think that's the part that, that, that brought that reference to mind. Yeah. It's that, that, and it doesn't have to be expressed oftentimes. It's like, okay, you knock me down, I get back up again. You knock me down, I get back up again. We just keep pushing forward. And I suppose in the military parlance, that's almost so valuable, right? It's right. like, um, that, that's the nature of that beast, but it has to, con- inertia is our killer, is our, is our enemy, and we must continue to push forward despite of all the obstacles that may be in our way. Yeah. Well, I got to ask this question. I should ask this at the beginning, but uh, the name I read, tell, tell our listeners about how you've got, your, your name is Terry St. Marie, but uh, how'd the Starbucker thing come into play? Well, um, Christmas Day 2005, I decided to start a blog because I had um, uh, exhausted my um, potential career as a um, online poker player. <laughs> And that was my hobby at the time. And I thought some, this friend of mine had a blog and, uh, I saw the day before and it was like one of those things, Oh, you know, I'm going to start a blog. So I needed a handle because I didn't want my, uh, employees to be distracted by anything I wrote because at the time I just thought I was going to write about anything, you know, the weather, what I was watching on TV, my, our cats, our dogs, whatever. And so I, I, I needed a handle, so I, I just, on an impulse, I put the handle I was using for my, uh, to play poker, and it was Starbucker. And Starbucker came from the fact that I drank 
a lot of that a certain brand of coffee especially then where I'd be going every day I'd show up at staff meetings and at my desk with a with a Starbucks glass and so right. they started calling me Starbucker <laughs> um, and so I put it down and it took a it just took on a life of its own Richard before I knew it people were calling me Terry Starbucker because I would obviously let people know my first name and 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 somebody said, dude, you better go get that URL. Yeah. And so, and I think in 2006, I got it. And then it just, you know, that Terry Starbucker just took on a life of its own. And finally, I was able to merge it all together in 2010 because uh, it was a badly kept secret because I guess kind of people knew that I was blogging but the, in the later years. But uh, finally, when I got out of the cable company and, and I, I merged them together. So now I'm kind of like a John Cougar Mellencamp type of thing. <laughs> right. Uh, so that's where Terry Starbucker St. Marie now resides. Man, that is a cool call sign and a cool story. So, I'm, yeah, you, you should be proud of that call sign. There could be worse call signs that you could be called, but Terry Starbucker is pretty cool. Yeah, and the, and and that fortunately that company has never approached me uh, <laughs> with any sort of uh, trademark <laughs> infringement or anything. Thank you, Starbucks, wherever you are, if you're listening. <laughs> Well, awesome. Well, you got a podcast out there too, and um, I encourage everybody to go out there. It's called the More Human Podcast, and so all the listeners, you know the drill. Make sure you go to his podcast, take a listen, leave a ratings and review. That's going to help him so much for his um, visibility in iTunes. So, I mean, I'm sure you know the drill. Tell us a little more about the More Human Podcast. Uh, thanks for thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, I've been doing podcasts of my own now since um, uh, late last year, and um, I, I, I've uh, much like you, Richard, I just I just really love talking uh, to other leadership practitioners and thinkers and doers, and um, I'm just intellectually curious person. And, yeah. and I thought, well, gee, I, I love I, I used to have these great conversations. I said, well, well, let's put them on on tape and put them out there. And and I started reaching out to authors that I, I admired and and. Unfortunately, they said yes, and I found a great studio here in Portland, recording studio in Pagatim, and 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 the, and the podcast was born, and and they've been so great to me. They I, I got up on iTunes, and um, I was new and noteworthy for a while, and and got in the top two hundred for a while, and and it was like a humbling thing to have people want to listen to me going on and on with somebody for 35 minutes. I, <laughs> right. I hope people will do the same for you with me on this one, but we'll hopefully, Absolutely. <laughs> but, but it's been a great thing. And I call it the more human podcast and, and you can find me on my, it, I post them on my blog and you can also find it on iTunes and SoundCloud and, and Stitcher. Yep. Very good. Very cool. And I, I agree with you. Nothing, nothing more cooler than podcasting as far as I'm concerned. I mean, that's the thing. One of the things I look forward to, uh, throughout the day is having these conversations with people like yourself. And um, so your, the website, how can people find you there too? What is it? Uh, it's uh, com. That's all one together word, Terry Starbucker. And I'm um, Starbucker on Twitter, uh, where I reside a lot there, and Terry Starbucker on Facebook. Uh, and you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm all over, I'm I'm all over social media. <laughs> Very well. I'll have links to all of this on the post. Terry, I'm proud to call you one of my leadership brothers. Um, we're definitely of the same tribe. This was a very fun conversation for me. I hope it was good for you, and um, I look forward to staying in touch with you. Uh, Richard, it was a, a distinct pleasure and honor, uh, especially for someone who has served, and I thank you for that. Oh well, thank and, you. And um, believe me, I do thank you. Um, 
it's 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 a noble thing to do, and um, it's a pleasure to talk to you and, and and to make a new friend in leadership. And I wish everybody well, and your and your listeners and readers well as well, because I always end my podcast with "Lead well," and I will say the same to you. Thank you very much, Terry, and it's a pleasure to have you on the show. We'll we'll have you back again, no doubt about it. Thanks. Uh, my pleasure. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.